0: But what I do know is that it is very difficult to sit across a table from a Jew and articulate um, anti-Semitic uh, rhetoric. I think it's it's very difficult to sit across from a Muslim and and and. Continue to think that um, terrorism is at the heart of their religious uh, system. It's very difficult to sit with a Catholic and believe that all they are is a bunch of persecutors that don't know God. Right? Like it's very difficult to engage with people's humanity and simultaneously hold your prejudice.
1: Welcome back to Advent Next, a theological podcast curated for curious faith discussions. This week we are finishing up our discussion with Claudia M. Allen, online content manager for Message Magazine. Last week we discussed the importance of African American literature and the ways that it can be used to improve upon the race illiteracy here in America and in the church. This week, we are exploring ways that the Church can improve cultural education in a way that equips members to intellectually engage with a variety of different cultural lenses and sociological perspectives. I'm starting off this episode by finishing up the tail end of our previous talk and diving into a discussion about diversity of thought. We want to thank the Adventist learning community for making this program possible. If you're not already following us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube, be sure to find us at the handle at AdventNext. You can follow our guest today, Claudia M. Allen, at the handle at Kamal365. That's C-A-M-A-A-L-365. I'm your host, Kendra Arsenal, and this is AdventNext.
0: And I think that when we open up our educational curriculum and we let everybody in and we begin to kind of diversify not only our spaces, but what we are learning, it is then that you actually create a space where we can actually cohabitate. We can actually coexist. We actually can now tolerate um, and allow differing thoughts to come in simultaneously, right? Because we like to say that we are a diverse institution or a diverse entity, but are you really diverse if you cannot handle diversity of thought? Yeah. Right? And and that's not just racial diversity of thought. Can you handle religious diversity of thought? Right. Can you handle um, like intellectual diversity of thought? Right? Like there's, there's, there's so many levels um, to curriculum that I think we have shut off because we are not, and and I won't even just say it's just Adventist education. I've noticed this in general, that schools have the tendency to not promote education, but promote indoctrination.
1: Hmm,
0: Okay. I, I want you to think a certain way I want you to leave here with a certain set of values, principles, and goals. I want you to operate in a certain way. So I am going to create an educational curriculum and an educational system that promotes that end. That is indoctrination. That is not teaching you how to think, that is teaching you what to think. And that is when you are unwilling to let in any mode of thinking that disagrees with you, And you cannot permit diversity of thought. You, in essence, are encouraging an educational space that says, I am more interested in telling you what to think instead of teaching you how to think. How have you navigated this space?
1: Because, you know, I I know you've studied at places other than Adventist universities, right? And so just having an experience where you're having to navigate different modes of thinking and even different religious modes of thinking. You know, you identify as a, a Christian woman, as, a, as an Adventist woman, I assume. <laughs> I don't know. Course, um, yeah. so, so how do you continue to hold to something you say, well, these are my values, but I'm also going to hold space for uh, uh, someone to have alternative views? How do you navigate
0: that? For sure. Georgetown was probably the greatest thing that happened to me. Um, when I got into that school, a friend of mine who was in the seminary made a joke and he was like, man, have fun going to school with the antichrist. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, you know, I laughed, but I was like, man, you know, like that just shows how Adventist we are. It's like, you, you can't even fathom going to school with Catholics. <laughs> you can't fathom having a conversation with, uh, somebody that goes to mass. Like, um, but being at Georgetown, I had a Catholic professor in one class. I've, I've been in classes, one of my uh, good friends is Catholic, is uh, atheist. And one of my best friends is Kojic, Church of God in Christ, she's black Pentecostal. Um, another friend of mine is gay. Um, another friend of mine is agnostic. Another friend of mine was Jewish. I worked with a girl that was Muslim. And so put all of these people in a Georgetown classroom and that's what we had. And the conversation was so rich because everyone was coming from their approach and from their worldview and they were able to add so much to what was present in the literature. I mean, they would always talk about how much they loved that I could pull out so many of the biblical spiritual references in a text because those were things that they were not taught. And so it's like, Oh man, I'm atheist. I don't see or know that this is a reprint of scripture. I'm Muslim. I read the Quran. I have no idea that this is, um, referencing Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, um, from the Hebrew Torah. Uh, the Jews are now like, man, Claudia, I had no idea that you also celebrate Sabbath. Right? So it's like, you get all these people into a room and then now say, okay, what does intelligence look like? What does intellectual dialogue sound like? And it doesn't sound like everybody's saying the same thing. If everybody in the room is all in agreement, then what kind of intelligence, what kind of intellect is being created and originated in that space? And it was literally being in those classrooms that I was re-educated and really understood, I believe it's either Plato or or Aristotle that says that it is a true philosopher that can hold two opinions in his mind simultaneously. If I cannot hold two opinions in my mind at the same time, understanding that this is what I believe, but I can fully grasp and understand your point of view without having kind of an emotional reaction to it, but being able to intellectually and logically dialogue with you, I, I feel like you are not, you were not educated. You were indoctrinated. And it was, it was uncomfortable at first. I'm gonna be honest. I went in there. I will never forget that first semester. I cracked some joke. I don't even remember what it was, but it was super Adventist. It had Adventist language. And I didn't realize, and afterwards I left and I was like, they have no idea what I taught, what I was talking about. Like haystacks
1: and they're like, what? Yeah, (laughs) like haystacks
0: and big franks. And, you know, it's like I was saying things that are literally central to Adventism. (laughs) And I was like, wow, like I am now even being undone. I am actively going through a process of unlearning so that I can go through a process of learning. Um, and, And I think that that is what so many of us need to do. And what I think both broadening and diversifying our, our physical spaces, but as well as our intellectual spaces does for us. Because um, you put a Catholic, an Adventist, a Muslim, and a Jew all in one classroom and, and nobody cuss each other out. Nobody was yelling. Nobody was mad. Nobody got offended. We had a brilliant conversation. And I think that is what I think humanity hungers for. I think it is The superficial notion that racism can be solved through friendship and relationship and interaction is naive and it is insufficient. I will never tell anybody to go find a black friend and that will eradicate your racism. It's not possible. But what I do know is that it is very difficult to sit across a table from a Jew and articulate, um, anti-Semitic uh, rhetoric. I think it's, it's very difficult to sit across from a Muslim and, and, and continue to think that um, terrorism is at the heart of their religious uh, system. It's very difficult to sit with a Catholic and believe that all they are is a bunch of persecutors that don't know God, right? Like it's very difficult to engage with people's humanity and simultaneously hold your prejudice. And I think that when we create space for difference of thought, difference of opinion, difference of philosophy, even difference of theology, and you multiply that with that which has been physical integration, you put people in a position to where now they are being educated and not indoctrinated. So if you're being educated, you are now being given the intellectual tools necessary to actively go out and dismantle systems of oppression, systems of racism. So it is not in having a conversation with a Jew that I am now anti-Semitic. It is in having the conversation with the Jew that equips me to be able to go out and identify anti-Semitic policies, anti-Semitic systems, anti-Semitic um, oppression. And now because I have those intellectual tools and that language, I can now tear that down. Same thing for persons, uh, well, I can't say persons of color, but black people. If, if I understand Um, Black thought, Black political thought, Black personal experience, Black um, sociology, then I leave that conversation now not, not racist- I just leave that conversation now with the intellectual tools to be able to identify racism in all of its systematic, um, expressions. And when I can identify racism while simultaneously having the critical thinking skills and the intellectual skills to dismantle it, that is where we then have the ability as a system and a community to eradicate race-based prejudice.
1: Beautiful. That was just brilliantly spoken. And I don't think I can improve upon that one bit. What are your hopes? Okay. One thing I'm thinking too, and just throw this out there, it's like uh, you know, looking at the benefit of being diversified in your social experience and your intellectual experience, you know, is there, I, I think about, you know, Andrews is the first time I've ever been to an Adventist institution, university and been surrounded exclusively by that type of community Is there still a benefit in that? And how can that, and if there is, how can that experience be improved so that there's more of a diversity of thought so that people can be better equipped to really engage with the real world?
0: For sure. I think one of the most amazing things about Andrews is that it is a safe space for religious, particularly Adventist expression right? As, as large as we believe the Adventist church is, it is extremely small in comparison to many of the other world religions. Um, and so having a space to be able to really like go to church on Sabbath and there's this overall culture that everything shuts down at 12 on Friday and everybody is going to some kind of a Friday night Vespers, um, you're in this choir, I play for this band and, you know, I'm helping create, you know, this chapel program initiative. There's something really special in being able to worship with like-minded people and do life with like-minded people. Um, Those four years were so spiritually critical for me um, in helping me to not just further understand what I believe and why I believe it. Uh, but having the opportunity to do life with people on a daily basis who are all trying to figure out how to do it. Um, And when you leave the incubator and go out to the real world, you really don't have impact as your spiritual cushion. You don't have new life um, as your high Zion worship experience, right? You know, you're going to go to a real Adventist church and predominant Adventist churches do not have an epic band made up of 12 people from all over the country, right? Like uh, every Adventist church doesn't have this spectacular choir or praise team or, um, you know? And so I think that those experiences are so critical. I think that there is a beauty to homogeneity. There is a beauty to... Um, having people who all kind of believe the same thing, kind of coming together. And then you realizing that, man, even my black Adventism is similar to this white Adventism. And now it's similar to Samoan Adventism. And man, I'm seeing how the Samoans worship and it's got its nuances it's a little different and now i see how the uh, malawians worship and it's got its nuances it's a little different and so we're all kind of like doing the same thing but not and so there's something really beautiful about being able to see just so many people do the same thing um the same way but also in different ways you know it's all on the same day we're all having a potluck after the program there was there was singing in all of the worship services, right? It just sounded differently. It was expressed differently. It looks different, but it's all the same thing um and so I think that there's something really powerful about that. I think that where there needs to be improvement is that oftentimes we make the different modes of expression um, as side programming that you can engage in if you would like to. It's programming you have to take the initiative to find. If you are Samoan, you need to find the other Samoan Adventists at Andrews and then they will direct you to the Samoan worship experiences on campus, right? Um, If you're South African, you have to find a South African on campus to take you to the South African expression. And what if chapel was not always that same white Euro American CCM worship experience um, with different colored faces, right? Because you think that you're being inclusive because you have an Asian singing lead on praise and worship. You think you're being inclusive because a black person is on backup, a white girl is singing soprano, an African's playing the box drum, right? You think that that's diversity. That's not diversity. This is the exact same mode of worship expression. You just put different bodies up there. But what if one, one Thursday that's not in February, um, you know, the Ghanaians did praise and worship for Thursday Chapel? What if the Koreans did praise and worship for Thursday chapel? What if the Samoans did praise and worship for Thursday chapel? And it's not during their cultural heritage month. Instead, we said, no, we appreciate diversity so much so that we actually want to put it on a stage, give it primetime platform. It takes much more intentionality to truly diversify. And I think that by creating integrated thinking, that is how you equip people to engage in true critical thinking. You cannot gain critical thinking skills by reading and interacting with everybody that looks and thinks and operates like you. There's gotta be some non-Adventist authors and thinkers that we read and champion and celebrate. And if you disagree with something in the text, iron out why you disagree with it. Talk about why you disagree with it. Talk about why you feel like it is in conflict with, with, with your particular worldview. But to not read the text at all, I think is is foolish at the least, unwise. And I, I think that our, our, our students and I think that our educational experience at Andrews would widen in such a beautiful way if diversity was not just something that we talked about um, and praised because we have um, differing bodies from differing countries coming onto campus, but instead we champion diversity of expression. We champion diversity in worship. We champion diversity in curriculum. We champion diversity in these very tangible and systematic ways. What would you say to somebody
1: who wants to, you know, start an African-American studies minor at their college or even here at Andrews because you, you pioneered it, uh, but then some of the faculty left, never really got off the ground. So if somebody wanted to resurrect that and try to get this Instituted what? What? What are some words of encouragement, and what should they be doing?
0: Man, so one of the things that I did first was I went to the bulletin, the school, the academic bulletin, to identify what are the courses that are already being offered in various departments that have some kind of um, Africana basis within them. And, um, once finding those, then, you know, I made a list and then it's like, okay, now let's identify those professors. Are they still teaching these courses? Why, why not? Et cetera. So I think that that would probably be the first area that I would go to because so many, uh, black faculty that I went to school, um, with at Andrews are no longer there. Um, I think that Andrews, unfortunately is now in a position to where they would have to hire somebody. I think, previously um that was one of the things that i was deterred from in that hey claudia the less financial burden you can put on the institution to creating this the more likely they will be to implement it which is very true that makes total sense um particularly when you're thinking about a new academic program it's like who's hiring a brand new person for this specific program and we don't even know if there are any students that want to take it right so that makes perfect sense I just think that something of this nature now, unfortunately, um, I can list off at least five faculty members that just aren't there anymore, uh, my mother included. So um, I think that unfortunately, even with pulling the bulletin together, um, any student or, or faculty member that tries to kind of go in this route, I think is gonna find themselves in a position to where we're gonna have to find somebody to actually head up this center or program, minor, department, you know, whatever it kind of becomes um, right now. The other thing that I would encourage people to do is to make some kind of partnership or renew the partnership with Notre Dame. Notre Dame has a phenomenal African American Studies department. At the time, Dr. Hugh Page was the chair. Um, He, I don't believe, is even at that institution anymore, let alone in that position. But I do think that there is something critically important to um, the fact that that institution is only about 30 minutes away, 30-minute drive, and that is a major um, academic school. And being able to have students in an African-American studies minor or major or center of study Uh, being able to travel from Andrews and maybe attend courses at Notre Dame that they can get credit for, or uh, go to brown bag lectures, um, other kinds of um, um, academic activities um, at that institution because they have the infrastructure and the faculty to do them um, in ways that maybe we can't kind of initially. So I think that that would be key. I think, you know, finding what are the courses that we currently have on deck who are the people that we currently have on deck that we can kind of pull together for an interdisciplinary experience? Um, What needs to be added? You know, what courses, what specializations um, kind of need to be added? And then also where can we build relationships um, with a school like Notre Dame that already has a robust faculty, a robust um, reputation around this discipline and field of study um, that our students can actively engage in and physically go to and glean from and get academic credit for. Because if I was a student and I was able to get 13, 15 credits of African-American studies coursework between Andrews and Notre Dame, I would have been in a much better position graduating and then going into, you know, my particular graduate study field work. Wow. Wow. I think that I hope so anybody listening, you know, I hope that
1: you do resurrect that program, follow Claudia's advice and uh, let's see that going. (laughs) Yeah. Is there any last words that you want to leave the audience today? um, you've, you've shared so much, you've been so eloquent and insightful. And so I'm really excited to share this with everybody, but what are some last words that you have to share with us?
0: Oh man. I think last words, I would probably say, don't be afraid to take initiative. I think so much of my, so much of the fact that I think differently is because I have taken a lot of initiative to find different books. Like for example, I'm reading a book right now called "Rescuing the Gospel from the Cowboys. It's by a man named um, Richard Twist um, and he's a Native American Christian theologian. Um, And so he talks about uh, Christianity within uh, Native American culture and the ways in which they had Christianity prior to colonialism, uh, but then also how they seek to maintain it, but also how difficult it is to evangelize given uh, what whiteness has done to that community. And so I have just recently found some books by uh, Japanese theologians, so I'm reading that. And so these are not things that people have recommended to me. I love recommending books to people, but there are some things that I Google. <laughs> right. What? Not to be that person, but, um, you know, I actively seek out different frames and modes of thinking. And so I need to understand why Muslims think the way that they think, why they operate the way they operate. What are their systems of what are their what are their political thoughts? I, I want to understand why Jews um, always vote within their self-interest. Like, Jews always vote as a community. Have never not. Like, why is that, right? And I think rather than finding a Jew and making them explain to me everything about what it means to be a Jew, I should just read a bunch of stuff about Jewish culture by Jews. And so... I think that what I would love to do is to just encourage people to um, seek out information, literature, fiction, nonfiction, poetry, culture, uh, documentaries, films, TV shows, music, like, like, saturate yourself in things that you are unfamiliar with, things that are not germane to your culture, languages that Aren't naturally spoken around you because you're black, so I'm listening to Haitians speak French to me. I'm listening to tr- um, trinnies, um speak to me in their dialect and their cultures. I'm listening to Japanese speak in Japanese, right? Like, not necessarily f- exclusively for the purpose of trying to become fluent in the in their languages, but to be comfortable around them, just being comfortable around difference being comfortable around and then being intellectually comfortable around different thought i can can you read something disagree with the book and keep reading <laughs> right it's it's an intellectual work that i think is so necessary that i i believe will do a tremendous work on our communities if more people do so i think um i guess what i'll call it is i want to i want to call people to radical reading I want want to call people to to begin to read things that um, they have to seek in order to find, um, things that they most likely might not agree with, things that they naturally wouldn't come in contact with, things that if you read it, you're not even going to understand it the first time. You're going to have to look several words up. You're going to have to understand the context. You're going to have to figure out how somebody can explain this to you, things that are going to call for an intellectual rigor that you reading about yourself never brings about.
1: Thanks so much for tuning in and being part of this conversation. I appreciate your feedback as well as suggestions for future episodes. Please join us next week as we discuss the theology and art of dialogue with a professor of ethics here at Andrews University. For a list of recommended readings, please check out last week's episode. They will also be listed in the description for this week's episode. We want to thank the Adventist Learning Community for making this program possible, as well as our guest, Claudia M. Allen. You can follow her at the handle at kamal365. That's C-A-M-A-A-L 365. If you're not already following us on Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram, be sure to do so at the handle at AdventNext. See you next week.